thank you all for having me. It's good to be here. I can truly say that I have been praying for you here, that God would continue to encourage you, strengthen you, guide you, and direct you. I know what a small congregation is. We're kind of small ourselves right now, and so most of the congregations in the New Testament were small. Many of them were mainly household congregations, and so I think we sometimes are caught up in modern-day commercial religion, and we see the big buildings, the fanfares that go on, the different parades that they have, and carnivals and what have you to get folks to attend and come in. And we sometimes have the idea that uh, we're doing nothing. But I hope to what we speak on this morning might be of some encouragement to you. It's always encouraging to me as a minister, and I've heard other ministers say the same, that when you're in song service and a lot of the songs that are selected, they somehow center around what you're going to preach. And so that uh, is somewhat an encouragement. I want you, if you have your Bible, to turn to First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be speaking about election today, but the first part of it, and I assume we'll get through with it this morning, but that's not always the assumption, and at least it's not at home. But I want to read the first three verses of First Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. This, this epistle was written to believers who had been driven out of their homeland. You've heard of the history of Nero fiddling while Rome burned. And commentators are, are divided on some of this, and historians are divided about Nero as to whether he set Rome on fire or not. Some historians think he did, some think he didn't. Either way, Nero wanted Rome destroyed so he could rebuild it after his own architectural plans. In fact, Nero was so vain on his deathbed, he was weeping because the world was losing a great architecture. So that was some of the background. And it's believed, and I believe, that uh, the people to whom Peter was writing were living in Rome, and they were driven out because Nero was saying that the reason Rome burned was because the gods were judging them for allowing Christians and Jews to live in the city. So he banned Christians and Jews, and drove them out of their city. Uh, they lost their possession, their property, if they had any, and so they were just driven out. And Peter's writing to saints that were living in these five regions in what is modern-day Turkey today. And so they were thousands of miles away from home and uh, living in this area of the country and the beautiful part about it in the original language, the word elect is not in the second verse. The word elect is in the first verse. And so literally it would read to the elect strangers scattered throughout Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, uh, Asia, uh, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So what we find here, Peter is writing 
to the elect strangers, and therefore the elect strangers were scattered, and they were scattered according to the foreknowledge of God. So think about that for just a moment. What we find, their dispersal, their being persecuted, their being scattered about, was no accident. It's in the purpose of God. It's in the purpose of God. In fact, it was part of their election. God didn't just elect and then look down through time and see how they would live and, and so on. And, and We won't get into foreknowledge tonight, today, I don't think. But uh, uh, I'm sure you've been uh, taught enough to know that foreknowledge is not just looking down through time and seeing what's going to happen ahead of time. Foreknowledge is part of the eternal decrees of God. And so their election, their dispersal, their, the things that they were going through in life is part of their election. And what you are going through, what you, the trials, the afflictions, the tribulations in life that you have, your circumstances now, individually as well as collectively as a congregation, is part of your election. It's part of what God would have you to be living at this time. Now, we don't understand it. We may never understand it in this life. We may not even in the next life. A lot of times people say, well, we'll we'll understand it in the future. We don't have any scripture that that says that God will uh, reveal everything to us as to why we went through what we went through. We don't know that. He may, he may not. I hope so on some things, but if he doesn't, I'm quite certain of one thing. It won't matter then. It won't matter. And so Peter is writing to these persecuted saints who were scattered and living in a foreign land and that this was part of their election. Their homeland is not of this world. And our homeland, too, is not of this world. We're passing through. We're passing through. I've heard that all of my life. The older I get, the more I understand it. And most likely, the older you get, the more you'll understand it as well. It has been approximately 47 years since I have lived in the location where I was born and raised. And when someone asks me where my home is, it's not uncommon for me to speak of that location. Where do you come from? Where's your home? And sometimes I'll say, well, I came from West Tennessee around the Martin, Tennessee area, Fulton, Kentucky area, because I was right close to the state line. But I have lived in four different locations since then. And in the place that I'm living now, I've lived uh, around 20, 21 years. And I often think of my original place as home. But when I go back to that homeland, it's all changed. It's nothing like it was. It's nothing like it was. The place where I grew up, all the buildings are gone except the house. They burned down the barn that I spent many hours in in, in the morning of each day milking cows. The tobacco barn where we housed our tobacco, it's, it's gone. All the buildings, the chicken house, the smoke house, the wash house. See, I was raised when you washed outside. You didn't, get, you didn't have the luxury of the indoor laundry. And so all of those buildings are gone. The people you grew up with, they're not there anymore. One of, my, one of the friends I used to run around with in high school, he died this past year of cancer, or last, maybe last year. A lot of my classmates, I think about 16%, 16 or 20% of my classmates are all dead. Life is not the same. And if I, if I went back there to live, my brother went back there to live a few years ago, 
And he was so out of place, he left. He was like a stranger in his own homeland. We, too, are living in a strange land. For the Christian, as he lives and goes about, many people that he works with, many people that he associates with, they're strangers to him, particularly if you try to talk to them about the things of the Lord. Where I work this next week, they're going to have a a huge pride conference. I work around a lot of sodomites. And I'm sure that uh, if you work in the public, you may too. One of the, uh, there's a fellow there that he and I are pretty good friends. He's a believer. He made mention to me, he said, wonder what, if we could get a, uh, a uh, Christian apologetics meeting going on. I said, well, we might get the pink slip if we were to bring it up. That's the land in which we live. We're strangers. We're strangers. In fact, in in the uh, in second epistle, Peter writes, he speaks about Lot living in Sodom, and his righteous soul was vexed day by day. Sodom, uh, Lot was a righteous man. He wasn't a sodomite. He wasn't protective of sodomy and the whole system. He shouldn't have been there, but that's a whole other story. But his righteous soul was vexed. And our righteous souls are vexed day by day as we live. But we need to realize and know that we are, we're still in, we're in the place that we are through the providential dealings of God. It's not by accident that we're here. And you're here to serve a purpose. You're here to glorify God. And you can best glorify God where He has you. You can best glorify God where He has you. Therefore, you can best glorify God where you are. And so I want you to take courage. I want you to be encouraged by that. We're going to look at this a little bit more. The doctrine of election as a biblical topic is often rejected and even hated by some when considered. It is usually looked upon as an unfair thing to think that God would choose some to salvation and not others. I have a book at home that was printed in 1925. It was by a preacher that lived in the area where I grew up. And the title of the book are, is 65 Errors of Unconditional Election. So it's a, a book that's totally wrong. <laughs> but here's one of the statements out of that book. He stated, quote, God opened my understanding and revealed to me that He is no respecter of person. That unconditional election was a doctrine of the devil preached to deceive men and that every responsible person on earth could be saved today by hearing about Jesus, yielding themselves by repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what he, what he wrote it's on page 34 of that book. Well, if he's right, I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I would like for him to prove that to me out of the Scriptures. His book didn't prove it to me. And it's about that thick. I forget how many pages is in the book. But we'll look at maybe the details of the election a little bit more. But I want you to realize and know that just as the doctrine of election is foreign, not only to the world, but to professing believers in general, and you're looked upon askew for believing such a doctrine as being a Christian and living as a Christian, you're looked upon by the world just so in the same manner. And you're not the first. Now, when you read through First Peter, I challenge you to do so, you won't find one time where Peter ever said or hinted 
you poor things. I know you're going through difficult times. And it's, I'm really sorry for you, and I wish it wasn't that way, and, and I wish I knew how to encourage you, and wish I could say something to encourage you and, and strengthen you and, and make you feel better. He never says that. But he constantly tells of the doctrines of God and challenges them in how to live. In fact, the reason I've been preaching through First Peter is because I believe very likely uh, I don't know, you know, the world may stand for another uh, hundred years or maybe another thousand years for all I know. But I do believe we're closer to the end than what we were. And I believe very likely we're going to go through some very hard and difficult times. In fact, I'm surprised that we're still, we still have the freedoms that we do today. I really thought uh, things would be a lot worse, but I think uh, somehow in the 80s, God granted somewhat of a reprieve. But I wanted my people, I say my people, the people of God to whom I preach, uh, to be encouraged and to know that whatever comes our way, that we're still to live as a Christian. No matter how tyrannical the government is, no matter how wicked Congress is, no matter what society may come to, we're still to live as Christians. We're to live a godly, a holy life, and we're to live where God has put us to His honor and to His glory. Now these people to whom Peter was writing, they were strangers. They were dispersed. And in their providential dealings, they were living in a strange land. Living in a strange land. A few years ago, uh, I was in overseas, uh, traveling what was called a, a Holy Land tour, but uh, wasn't much holiness to it. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. And one day, uh, because I didn't have enough money to take another uh, tour down to Florence that some of the other people did, I walked around the city of Rome by myself all day long. I'm pretty, pretty much a stranger. <laughs> I walked into one place, and I didn't know their language. They didn't know mine. Well, they may have known mine. I don't know whether they did or not. They did. They didn't let on. But uh, I pointed at some bread, and I pointed at some meat, and I handed them some money, and I walked out with something to eat. But... Uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's kind of unique when you're in another place and people are looking at you because you're out of place. You're not in the you're not in the norm. Well, as Christians living in this world, we're out of place. We're out of place. We don't fit in. We're not trying to be uh, different. You know, we we don't try to uh, create any ruckuses or problems or adverse circumstances. You know, if the world and the government will leave me alone, I'll leave them alone. I just want to live a life to the honor and to the glory of God. And that's what we as Christians are to do, and that's what Peter says. These people were suffering unjustly. There's a lot of unjust suffering that goes on in the world. We know that there was nothing more unjust than the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. A righteous man died. Of course, we know that too was under the sovereign disposition of God. He come for a purpose, but humanly speaking, it was a misjustice. It wasn't true. It wasn't a just death. His trial was not even according to Jewish law. Pilate knew that they delivered him for envy. He had done nothing to deserve that death, but for political expediency, Pilate allowed this just man to be killed. And for political expediency, very likely Christians will suffer same persecution in this country very likely before I'm dead. 
I hope not. I hope I'm wrong. Every cause, every group has a voice that's heard except the Christian. The Christian's voice. You look on the news, uh, you'll find that uh, Christianity is portrayed as something that is as horrible as anything could be as a general rule. And for that reason, Peter would say later on in the epistle, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Don't think it strange. Don't think it uncommon that you suffer unjustly and that things may happen to you and you don't know why. If you were to come down with cancer and some person that doesn't know the Lord and lived a wicked life never has any problems, don't think it's strange. We're not promised anything other than to be with the Lord when it's all said and done if we truly be Christian. That's all we're promised. What do we read about in, in, in the book of Acts? What do we find? You know, we, we, we read Pentecost. Thousands were converted on the day of Pentecost. Why does that happen again? It never happened any other time throughout the book of Acts. Later on, there was one other time. They, they had a few. But for the most part, throughout the rest of the New Testament, and throughout church history, of course, there were some times of revivals, but as a general rule, it's the everyday, daily life as a Christian. Daily life as a Christian. The godly woman who is a meek and a quiet spirit that keep her at home, God says she's of great price in God's sight. Hollywood doesn't have her in lights. When I grew up, there was a program called Gunsmoke. Who was the star? The saloon whore. And the old the woman that was the, the keeper at home, she was always portrayed as some bitty that was mean and hateful and contrary to anything that was right. The life of Riley, the husband, a bumbling idiot, and the children and the mother had all the sense. That far back, that far back, Hollywood, that, that's what Hollywood is. But we're talking about Christians living in a strange land, in a strange land. Too many times we fret and are bothered that the Lord would allow such things to come to us. Why did this happen to me? I've been trying to live for the Lord. And the early saints, what did they do? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Paul and Silas in Philippi at midnight were singing and praying. If God didn't sustain me, I'd be sitting there feeling sorry for myself. We often think that we're above such things and that the Lord should change our situation. But unless we keep our heart and our minds focused upon the Scriptures, we will likely get into the spirit of Asaph. You remember Asaph in Psalm 73? Let's turn there for just a moment. Though you're Christians, you're still sinners. I don't think you're much different from me. Listen to Asaph. Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, the wicked, their prosperity. They continue in their wickedness. Why doesn't God do something about it? This tyrannical government under which we live, and it's getting worse and worse. And it didn't just start recently. It's been going on for decades. It's been going on for decades. It was no accident that uh, Stalin's and Roosevelt and, and uh, Hitler, uh, uh, 
Churchill divided the world up into three sections at the at Malta. You know where that meeting took place, don't you? Later, I mean, uh, that uh, not at Malta, but that be Ukraine. That little strip of land. What do they call it? Crimea, right there. History doesn't repeat itself. The men try to bring a lot of things to pass in the same places. The reason I say history doesn't repeat itself because history is not in control. God is in control. We need to keep that in mind. God is in control. And we need to not be like Asaph. When he saw the prosperity of the wicked, his feet well nigh slipped. Until he went into the house of God, to the sanctuary of the Lord, he understood their end. Continue, continue, beloved. Continue in the house of God. Continue listening to the Word of God that you might be encouraged day by day. It is one thing to read of the martyrs in history or in other countries who are suffering unjustly for their faith, but it is another thing when it happens to us. I could be a lot more popular than I am. I know that. I could have a larger congregation if I wanted one. If you have enough hot dog suppers and enough entertainment, you can get a big enough crowd. And you know that too. I'm not telling you anything different. But we don't need to be shaken. We don't need to lose confidence in ourselves and become paralyzed in our duty before the Lord. We need to continue to serve God where He has put us. You say, well, that's easy to preach. It is easy to preach. It's hard to live. I have as much pride and as much vanity as anybody here. I'd like to have a big congregation. I'd like to have more people to preach to. I'd like to have a bigger crowd. I don't think all of it's just because of of selfish pride either. I'd like to see the gospel advance. I'd like to see more people free because the truth is what makes you free. And I believe I'd like to see it for the glory of God. But he hasn't done that. The Greek word for stranger is composed of two Greek words which means basically beside of. The first one, para, means beside of. The other Greek word, I say para, you know, parallel, where a word parallel comes from, a railroad track, they're parallel, they're lined straight side by side. It's that word, and then there's another word, which mean, wouldn't mean anything to you, no need me pronouncing it, I probably messed it up trying to, means to make oneself at home. So you're to be at home as you live beside strangers. As you dwell in a foreign country, you are an alien along beside of a foreigner, or as a foreigner, a resident foreigner, a pilgrim, a stranger. A foreigner who is a permanent resident of the country in which he or she resides, but does not have citizenship. That's the idea. In this country, you need to have a green card or to have one in the last calendar year. You also fall under the U.S. classification of a resident alien. If you have been in the U.S. for more than 31 days during the current year, along with having been in the U.S. for at least 183 days for over three years living period, that in, uh, includes in that year. That's a resident citizen. The life of a Christian is one of a stranger, and we're living here legally. We live here legally, not like a lot of folks living here un- illegally. We live here legally, but we know that we are different from the others who live here. We act different, we dress different, we live honest lives, try to live holy lives, 
try to live lives to the honor and to the glory of God. We don't try to take advantage of folks. We don't try to look down our noses at, at, at others because we're no, we know that we're no better than the worst person in the gutter. We know that we're only what we are by the grace of God. And we know what we were before God's grace turned us around. We were nothing. We were nothing and less than nothing. I know what I was. And I know I didn't care for the Lord. And the doctrine of election that I'm talking about today, I remember talking to my mother about it as a teenager and said, I'll never believe that. And here I am. Contrary to what I said, I'd never believe. I had enough respect for her too. I didn't tell her that. I didn't stand up to my mother and tell her how wrong she was. I didn't tell her, well, I sure don't believe that. I listened, and she told me, and then I went off. remember driving the vehicle off down the road after we had our conversation, saying to myself, I'll never believe that, as I went to hunt Easter eggs on Easter. That was the height of my religion, which I had, which I had no religion. And I was on, only going there to be with my friend. And we thought we had really found something when we found a rabbit's nest with a bunch of bunnies in it. When a person lives in a strange country, he normally looks different. Nothing wrong with that. He dresses differently from another country, another culture. Normally eats different. Some of you remember when we were in Memphis together and some Cambodians came over and for a period of time there I preached to some Cambodians and I had to have an interpreter. And uh, they didn't dress like we did. They didn't talk like we did. I sure couldn't talk to them. I had to have an interpreter. And a man from Cambodia that was a teacher in Cambodia was an interpreter. And when I went to their homes, their homes were different. The cooking was different. The smell was different. You know, and we're, we all, that's part of the ethnicity of where they lived. And I'm sure we smelled different to them and looked different to them. That's just part of it. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with that. But in, in the world as a Christian, we're going to be different. And the world doesn't like that. We talk differently. We don't, we don't talk a bunch of filthy language. We don't tell filthy jokes. We don't laugh at their filthy jokes. We act differently. We don't do what they do. We work differently as a Christian. I've told every supervisor that I've had to, that uh, where I work, I said, I don't work unto this country. I work, I mean, this company, I work unto the Lord. I work unto the Lord. Several years ago, I was kindly, I think, taken advantage of. I think I was put aside so that a woman could be advanced. And I remember one day, uh, really, it, it really bothered me. It really, it was getting next to me. And when it's time for my break, which a lot of times I don't take a break, <clears throat> it was time for my break. I went outside and started walking and praying. And I was praying to God. And I was griping and complaining about how unfair things were and wondering why he allowed such things to happen. And after griping to God for a while, I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you, I'm a sinner too. And then I got to talking. I said, Lord, you could change this if you wanted to. But evidently, since you haven't changed it and you could, you don't want to. Therefore, if you don't want to, evidently, if I really believe that you're all wise and you love me better than I love myself, then this is the best thing for me. And if I'm going to work unto you, then I'm going to go back and I'm going to work 
to the best I can, to the best of my ability, for your honor and for your glory, regardless of what the people over me think. By the time that break was over, I was in good shape. But I had to preach to myself a while. You have to, too. You have to, too. Yes, in everything, as a believer, we're quite different from the world. In fact, so much so that we feel to be strangers in every sense of the word. And therefore, it is not unusual for the Christian to be misunderstood and to consider that he is strange because he does not fit in to the, or the, to the things or the desires as the world does. Abraham and his descendants were strangers. When Abraham was living down in Ur the Chaldee, he, he was worshiping false gods, according to Joshua. He left, he went out, and his scripture says he went out not knowing whether he went. Now you think of the faith that Sarah had to have. And her husband says, we're going somewhere. She said, where are you going? I don't know. Who told you? Why, why are you going? Because El Shaddai told me to. So he went out not knowing whether they went, he went. Goes up into Sharon. Haran lives there for a while. His father dies. Goes down into uh, Palestine, lives around there by himself. He and his wife, Lot, later on they separated, Abraham and Lot. He was in Egypt for a while. I don't have this in chronological order. But my point is, he was living as a stranger. We're seed of Abraham. We're children of Abraham. We have the same faith as Abraham. And you can go down through the Old Testament saints. I've got some list of names here. Abraham, I even got Jochebed in there. Y'all know who Jochebed was, don't you? Ruth, David, God gave commandments to Israel concerning the strangers. God told the Israelites they were to protect the strangers, though they couldn't go into the temple and worship, but they were to protect them. And often strangers in a different land will congregate together. And this is a natural thing. Birds of a feather flock together. By the way, that proverb has been around since the 1500s. Not uncommon to hear the German community or the Latino community or the Muslim community or the uh, Jewish community or even the black community or the Spanish community or the. That's not, not, nothing uncommon for that. Nothing wrong with that. You feel at home with people that you're like minded. I was raised on a farm. I have a lot of things in common with, the, with farmers, you know. I fit in good with the rednecks. But as Christians, we're to congregate together. You may be a small group, but as you congregate together, you are to grow, draw strength from one another and be encouraged by each other. No, you may not have the hundreds or the thousands. And who knows? God could change that. He may not. He may. He may not. We don't know. We don't know what the future is. We can't figure out the future. No need to sitting around trying to figure out the future. You don't know what the tomorrow will bring. You can't change yesterday. But what can we do? What does the Scripture say? Today is the day of salvation. We can live today. We can do what God would have us to do today. And this is where He has put you. And so you can best serve Him today in this small congregation where He has put you. And to be content with what God has done. And if you find opportunities to encourage one another, to build up one another, maybe even to build the congregation, take that as God opens the door. But don't think you're a failure for being where you are. Let's pray. Father, I pray that these words will be encouraging to the saints and to all who hear. 
Yes, Father, we would like things to be changed in a lot of different ways. But help us to learn to be submissive unto you and your sovereign disposition, what it is you would have us to do. Forgive us of our indifference and lackadaisical spirit so many times. Forgive us of wanting what we want instead of what you want. But at the same time, bless us to seek to know what it is you would have us to do and to be busy doing what it is you would have us to do. And I pray that you would bless the saints here at Gadsden as they are going through these times to be encouraged, to encourage one another, and to know that this is where you would have them at this time, and to bless them to bring honor and glory to you, and to know that even as they assemble together, if the world does not look in, the angels are. That's astounding, my God. I don't even know how to comprehend that. That's what the Scriptures teach. And why angels would want to look at this sinner and be encouraged, I have no understanding of that. But the Scriptures say that they are here, they're in attendance. Bless us as we endeavor to serve you, even in small congregations. It wasn't by the army that the Philistines were defeated, but by the smallness of one young man and his defeating of Goliath. That was only an example of many that we find in Scripture. You revolutionized the world with Christianity in many ways through just starting up a small group of men. So whatever it is you would have us to do, bless us to be faithful in it and give us a spirit to be content in it. In Jesus' name, amen.